If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Good morning. Welcome from Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. Will you bow your heads with me? Some of our neighbors got an early start, Holy One, decorating their yards with ghosts and goblins and piling up the front porch with pumpkins. We know that this might be controversial, but spooky season really didn't officially start until today the first day of October. And in some ways, the decorations and frivolity are most welcome. They are good distractions from the things that already keep us up at night. It's not the monsters under the bed that worry us. Real life can be scary enough. There's tomorrow's algebra test the upcoming appointment with the oncologist, the paper due tonight, the sky-high electric bill, and the car is making a weird sound when we pull up to red lights. The news is filled with fires, floods, and record-high temperatures. And the political scene is a nightmare with what seems like a growing cast of characters. We confess, Holy One, that we are afraid we feel in over our heads. We know that we cannot distract ourselves out of this. So like so many of the faithful that came before us, we are trusting what you told the prophet Isaiah when he was having a moment. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. Help us, Holy One, to rest in the sure and certain hope that love will see us through. With trusting hearts we pray. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the spirit, any compassion and sympathy, 
Make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Look each of you, let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Here in the reading from our tradition, may God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. What a week for the lectionary to assign us a reading that urges us to be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. What a week for the scripture lesson to instruct us to look to the interests of others. What a week. I am speaking, of course, about the city council's decision this week to set an election date for a new taxpayer-funded arena for the Oklahoma City Thunder, which will, in theory, keep them here beyond 2050. You have read the articles, heard the news reports, and some of you may have even watched the city council meeting, either in person or on the live stream. Mayor Holt used phrases that sound a lot like the ones we hear in Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, noting that a professional sports team, what it does for a city, what it does for community unity, the ability to bring people together, and we know that to be true just from Tuesday's city council meeting when advocates from the Chamber of Commerce showed up in matchy-matchy thunder gear. <laughs> Mayor Holt also noted the new arena's ability to help all people in his remarks about why this is an absolute must for the city. We have been repeatedly reminded that the Thunder's presence and support of nonprofit initiatives are vital to the local economy's growth. Indeed, the mayor credits the presence of a major league sports team to Oklahoma City's population growth, moving us from 31st in tw in to 20th, 31st to 20th in just 15 years. Although complete transparency here requires us to say that correlation is not causation. <laughs> there has been some research done on the cost benefit of building a new arena in Oklahoma City. This last summer, Bradley Buss, an economics student at the University of Oklahoma, completed an honors research project titled the Oklahoma City Thunder, Intrinsic Value Economic Impact Analysis and the Case for a New NBA Arena. The research collected data from stakeholders, several examples of written literature, academic, economic, scholarly sources, articles, and web sources. The conclusion is a bad news, good news. He says, although quantitative reasoning and raw economic analysis may present the idea that building a new stadium is not reasonable in a community like Oklahoma City. This process lacks the necessary variables which are intrinsically immeasurable. 
The presence of a professional sports team and a modern stadium can foster a sense of community identity and pride. This sense of unity and belonging can contribute to a stronger social fabric within the city, leading to a better quality of life for its residents. The bottom line is there are benefits to building this arena that we can't quantify. There are some of you who are perhaps surprised, disturbed, upset, borderline mad, that this perhaps seems to be a pro-arena sermon. Relax. <laughs> I am about to make the other half of the congregation surprised, disturbed, upset, and borderline mad. You know that I am an equal opportunity irritant. It is one way for the pastor to inspire an entire congregation to be, as Paul wrote, of one mind. There are other arguments being made about this proposal. There is concern for the actual cost. It never costs just what they say it will. We can be certain that there will be upgrades that will need to be paid for in the following years. We are certain about that because we've gone through several rounds of hundreds of millions of dollars of upgrades since the current arena opened. Some are adamant that we could be getting a better deal, that this is simply the latest iteration of Maps for Millionaires. And given that collectively the Thunder owners are worth 25 billion with a B dollars, they need to chip in more than 50 million. And it's not just about wanting a better deal, of course. I know a few people who aren't aware of the housing crisis in our city. According to the 2021 housing affordability study presented to the Oklahoma City City Council, 42% of renter households and 19% of owner households are housing cost burdened, meaning they spend more than 30% of their gross income on rent or mortgage and have limited income remaining to take care of other life needs. There are plenty of us in this sanctuary who are part of those percentages. Last week, in the Oklahoma Senate's rental housing interim study, we learned that we are over 80,000 rental units short for our current population. Which begs the question, what could $900 million do for our housing crisis? And of course, we could substitute plenty of other words for housing, and the question stands, what would $900 million do for mental health, for public education, for restorative justice, for roads and bridges, for community colleges, and our Votex? As the preaching giant William Coffin once wrote, we must abridge our luxuries for the sake of others' necessities in this city, in this land, in the world. Bottom line, we could spend $900 million on any one of those issues instead of letting that money possibly, maybe, hopefully, if we're lucky, trickle down from the arena. Okay, now that I have possibly made everyone mad for different reasons, let's get back to the text. What does this have to do with Paul's letter to the Philippians? 
If you notice, Paul's letter seems pretty general, the part we read, and yet there are particular things he addresses in the letter. In the beginning of the letter, he reassures the Philippians of his own situation. Yes, he was in prison, but he is doing okay. He also commends someone named Aphroditus and explains why he is returning to Philippi so they don't criticize this guy for abandoning Paul in prison. But ultimately, this letter is one of encouragement and advice. Scholars acknowledge that we don't know how much of this was related to any particular situation in Philippi. But what is clear is that Paul wanted to spell out the ways in which those who are in Christ ought to live. So he tells them, don't fight all the time. Pull in the same direction. Don't be egotistical. Practice humility. You're not better than anybody else. Don't just look out for yourselves. Look out for others. It is instructive to note that Paul is not telling them exactly how to solve a specific problem or directing them to resolve a debate with a particular command, you have to do this. They are not being ordered to do anything. Paul is prompting the Philippians to think and act theologically. He frames his writing this way, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the spirit, any compassion and sympathy, then here are the ways you should act. These are our ethics. These are our values. These are the guidelines by which we make decisions, settle disputes, and build community. If we say we are followers of Jesus, then this is how you act like it. No matter how anyone else is acting, or what they are doing, or what they are saying, or whatever else is going on, don't fight all the time. Pull in the same direction. Don't be egotistical. Practice humility. You're not better than anybody else. Don't just look out for yourselves. Look out for others. Of course, Christians are not the only ones who follow these points, especially the one that says look to the interests of others. As author Richard Haas points out, this teaching can be found in many of the world's major religions. In Judaism, the notion is captured by the theme that all of Israel are responsible for one another. Various Hindu texts contain verses that elaborate on the theme of the world as one family, calling on individuals to treat others equally and as they would want to be treated. This sense of obligation to one's fellow human is the basis of a great deal of volunteerism and charity. At best, this is an argument for choosing to do good things for others, at a minimum, it is an argument for avoiding doing things that injure others. And of course, religion does not have to be the basis of the ethic to look to the interests of others. There is another reason 
for caring about others. Doing so reflects our self-interest and is for our own sake. Martin Luther King Jr. made such an argument in his letter from a Birmingham jail. He wrote, we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Anyone, Christian, Hindu, Jewish, or otherwise, can appreciate and live out this ethic. So having said all of that, this is not a sermon that will tell you how to vote in December one way or another. Here's the thing about the new arena. It's very likely to be approved by a majority of voters. We are very likely going to spend, as a city, at least $900 million to keep the thunder here. And people will cast that vote thinking that it will be in the best interest of others. And all of us will absorb the pros and cons of that vote. What we are not going to do is pretend that building an arena is enough, that wearing the same color scheme creates anything more than a superficial community, or that the economics will benefit everyone equally or at all. We are also not going to act like this is the end of the world. We are not going to pretend that there are no benefits to building this arena. And we are definitely not going to act as if building the arena prevents us from other work, other strategies, and other movements that will bring us closer to economic justice, restorative justice, education justice. Our faith tells us that there is something amiss in Oklahoma City when we can come up with a plan to house billionaires while at the same time declaring that we don't know what to do to create affordable housing for average Oklahomans. Which means that our faith also tells us that we need to be much more assertive in how we look to the interests of others. We might start by reflecting on the fact that while some folks were spending the last however many years coming up with a plan to house those billionaires, not a single one of us spent that very same time coming up with a plan to house average Oklahomans. What might it look like for us to pursue plans with Mayor Holt and the City Council to come up with a similar investment in affordable housing, mental health, public education, or any of the other things that are in the interest of the other, every single other? As Ward 2 Councilman James Cooper said, the ball's in our court.
You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m. with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.